Good morning and welcome to Sunday at First Presbyterian Church. I'm Pastor Danny Deeth, and as we begin this New Year journey together, it is the right time for us to look around and notice that the world is indeed dark and broken in some places. How do we counter that? We do it by following our resurrected Christ who fills us with hope, joy, peace, and love so that we can help to build his kingdom on this earth. So come and join us as we seek to answer our call of the risen Christ. Come on in. Our first lesson is taken from Isaiah. This is the prophet's call. If you remember last week, we looked at Jeremiah and how Jeremiah was called into ministry. This is Isaiah's call. It is in the text, in, in the context of temple worship. Listen for the word of the Lord, Isaiah 6, 1 through 8. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lofty, and the hem of his robe filled the temple. Seraphs were in attendance above him. Each had six wings. With two, they covered their faces, and with two, they covered their feet, and with two, they flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The pivots on the thresholds shook at the voices of those who called, and the house filled with smoke. And I said, Isaiah speaking, Woe is me, I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. Yet my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphs flew to me, holding a live coal that had been taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. The seraph touched my mouth with it and said, Now that this has touched your lips, your guilt has departed and your sin is blotted out. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here I am, send me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second lesson is from Luke 5, 1 through 11. As we heard about the calling of the prophet Isaiah, we are now hearing about the first few disciples from Luke's account about how Christ called them to be disciples and into a new phase of their walk with God and ministry. Luke 5, 1 through 11, listen for the word of the Lord. <clears throat> While Jesus was standing beside the lake of Gesenaret, and the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God. He saw two boats there at the shore of the lake. The fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little way from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the crowds from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, 
we have worked all night long, but have caught nothing. Yet, if you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done this, they caught so many fish that their nets were beginning to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at the knees, at Jesus' knees, saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For he and all who were with him were amazed at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. Then Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching people. When they brought their boats to the shore, they left everything and followed him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So my first two calls in ministry, our, when I say our, I mean Vicki, my wife, and myself. Our first two calls were in North Carolina, Morganton, North Carolina, at the base before you head up into the mountains of Western North Carolina in Raleigh, the capital. Well, I had a a Christian education buddy whose name was Bubba. Everybody needs a Bubba in their life. And he was a fly fisherman. And as soon as I moved there, he was already there. He was one of the reasons I got there to start in North Carolina. And so he and I started fishing together. And I think it may be Georgia state law that everybody has a fishing buddy named Bubba. Anyway, I started fishing, enjoyed it, fly fishing, a little bit different than spin casting. Spin casting, that's where the, the rod releases in a spin motion the line that goes out. And when you're spin casting, the monofilament, it's so thin, there's no weight there. You are casting the weight of the lure, the hooks on the end. That's how you get the weight to cast. When you're fly fishing, it's just the opposite. The weight that you cast is the line itself. It's thick and it floats. And in, in two other stages, the line gets thinner. So after the fly line, you have the leader, it's thinner. And then attached to that is another section of line called the tippet. And that tapers down to a teeny little bit and that's where your fly goes. And in fly fishing, you're trying to fool the fish into thinking that this is a living creature and food that they want to eat. And so when you cast the line, you're casting the weight again of the fly line, and you want that fly at the end to just ah, kind of sit right down on the top. The fish, you don't want them to see the line connected because they're dumb, but they're not that dumb. And so I was into it for a while. So at that same time, Vicki and I had accrued some mileage points that had been bumped off of different flights. And so we realized that both of us could take a trip anywhere in the United States. And we said, well, where, where do we want to go? Where haven't we been? Well, we hadn't been to Colorado, so we went to Colorado. We went to Telluride, which you probably know from ski, uh, as a ski resort, ski town. But we went in August about a third to a fourth of the price, that's the time to go. And still beautiful, my goodness. Love our Western North Carolina mountains, but the mountains in Colorado, mountains. Big, strong, beefy, rocky mountains. Just take your breath away. 
So one of the things that I invited my fantastic, smart, faithful, beautiful wife to join me in was fly fishing. She hadn't done it before. And I said, let's, if we're going to Colorado, I want to fish. I said, would you do it with me just to see? She said, okay, I'll do it. I'll do it just to see. So we were on the Dolores River, which isn't huge water, at least not where we were. Some of the things about smaller stream fly fishing is that you can stand, you put your waders on, you are in the water. And you can often see the fish that you are trying to cast to. So we hire a guide, which is what you do when you don't know the water. And it's a pretty good idea, even if you do. Because your success ratio in catching fish goes up exponentially. So we hired a guide for Vicky, because <laughs> I knew how to do it. I've been fishing for months now, and I can tell her everything she needs to know, but a good thing she has the guide, they can go off and do it while I go catch some fish. So, and, and by the way, Vicki grew up in Pensacola, her dad had a boat, they were deep sea fishing long before I even picked up a rod, she knows how to fish. But she hadn't fly fished before, so this part was new. So I, I can see him upstream. I'm doing my thing. Beautiful mountains up here. Not catching a darn thing. Whew. Perfect form, of course. Perfect form. And then and when you fly fishing and you're a stream, you, you need to know how to read the stream. Where are the fish? Where are you casting to? You're looking for little points of depth behind little rocks and boulders that jut out. Where just on the edge of the current, because that's what's bringing food into their world. They're opportunists. They kind of sit on the side so they don't have to fight the current. They'll snap, then they'll come back out. Grab a little food, come back out. So you're looking for them. You're casting to them. So I'm casting. I see Vicky catching fish, catching fish, catching fish, and I'm casting. I'm casting. I catch a couple little ones. I see she's catching some big ones. And so finally the guide takes pity on me and comes down and says, what's going on, man? I thought you knew how to fish. I know how to fish. Tell me I don't know how to fish. He says, okay, 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 okay. So went back, Vicky, they're catching fish, they're catching fish, and I'm not. Finally he comes down and I'm fishing again, and now I'm starting to get the, the clenched teeth jaw fish. And he says, Danny, put your fly here. I put it right there, caught a huge, beautiful brown trout. Not that different from our story today. When I listened to my guide, I caught the darn fish. But I thought I knew better, I didn't trust him, but when I did, things changed. In this story today, we are still in the beginning of Luke. We talked last week about some of the early things that had happened to get us here. Chapter four was significant in Jesus's journey where he was sent out after baptism uh, to, the, uh, to be tempted in the wilderness. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about him standing up at his home church, his synagogue, reading Isaiah's uh, scroll where Isaiah talks about the one who will come Jesus listing this as his mission and call to say he is bringing good news to the poor, release to the captive, sight to the blind, proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor, drops the mic, boom. And he sits down and says, oh, this has been done in your hearing. They chase him out of town. 
So here we're in chapter five. The word's starting to get around and we are, our setting is Lake Gesenaret and this is also the Sea of Galilee. This is also the Sea of Tiberias and it's very confusing. The same body of water is referred to as a lake and a sea. It's a lake. And depending on who controls some of the shores at what time is what it was referred to as. And when Jesus starts his ministry, he starts around this lake and goes to the little cities and villages around to start to preach, to heal, to teach, to call people to him. So in this story is where we pick up. And first, the crowd was pressing in on him and they couldn't see or hear him. He's looking, what do I do? There's too many people. I'll take a boat. And, and Peter, the, Simon, who will become Peter later, they've been out fishing all night, all night, not catching fish. Jesus sees him out there, says, Peter, can I, I, I need your boat. Let me just stand there so I can put out a little bit away so then I can see them, they can hear me, I can see them, fine. So they put out. And Jesus teaches and speaks to them. He taught the crowds. Now, there's a shift here. After Jesus teaches the crowds, he turns to Peter, who's sitting right there, probably trying not to fall asleep, like many of you this morning. Jesus is like a foot from him in his boat. And when he's done teaching, he turns to Peter and says, let's go out to deep water. You can hear Peter's eyes kind of rolling several times in this conversation. And he answers directly. Jesus says, put in deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Sounds fun. Peter had been out there all night just cleaned his nets. They were ready to be put up for the next night. He wanted to go home and go to bed. It was a bad night. And remember, this isn't just Peter and James and John out fishing for fun. If they don't catch anything, well, still a beautiful day, bad day, fishing, still a good day. Blah, blah, blah. This was their business. This was their family. This was supplying fish to their business partners, people in the community. Like any business, if it shuts down, you lose those customers. This was a bad night for a variety of reasons. And Peter had had enough. He just wanted to go home, and Jesus is standing in his boat. Put out to deep water, let down your nets for a catch. Simon says, Master, which means they have a previous relationship. This isn't the first time Jesus and Peter get together. He recognizes him and calls him master, although not yet called into discipleship. We have worked all night long, but have caught nothing. As if to say, are you a fisherman, Jesus? Do you grow up fishing? Because I grew up fishing. What do you do for a living, rabbi? Oh, you teach? Good, I fish. I know there are no fish out there. I've been out there for hours and hours and hours, eight to 10 hours. Nada, nothing, donut. Got to be running through his mind. He didn't say that to Jesus. But then 
Peter with courage and conviction, or maybe he just didn't want to fight, says, yet if you say so, I will let down the nets. And when they did this, they caught so many fish that their nets were beginning to break. So the first thing I want us to think about is that before Peter was able to fully understand who Christ was, Christ told him to go into deep water. When you think deep water, what images come? Happy images? Dark, black, deep water. Shark week? Just wait for the breaching great whites to come up and eat you. And in the Bible, when it talks about what bodies of water often are a symbol of a chaos and fear. Jesus turns to Peter, already taught the crowd. Now he's working on Peter directly. Let's go into deep water. And again, Peter not trusting, not really fully grasping who Christ is just yet. I have to go into the deep water. Why do I have to go into the deep water? What is it that parallels deep water in our lives? What are the things that we get into in such a deep and comprehensive way that we know that we are not in the shallow water? If you have a job and you want to be good at your job, you plow and you go deep. You wanna know everything there is about your area, everything there is to know about how to train, how to be better at the job that you do, so you can do a good job, be better at what you do, so you can be an asset to the company or whatever your setting is. If you're a parent at home, you do the same thing. How do I do this in a better way? Whatever your call is in whatever way that you serve, in what are the places that you go deep? Relationships are a big one. Think of the significant relationships in your life. Are those shallow, cursory existences? Shouldn't be. Whether that's a spouse, family members, friends, close, lifelong friends, those relationships take work, and for that to work, you have to go deep into those sometimes unknown and scary places. Water and deep is all the way through the Bible from creation, the story of creation and the waters that covered the earth, to the Exodus coming through the Red Sea, giving new life, through Joshua coming through the Jordan to the promised land, Noah and the ark covered in deep water, to the woman at the well, deep water, to Jesus himself being baptized and more and more. Jesus is saying to Peter, even though he doesn't know it, let's go deep. Let's go deep, you are with me and we are gonna go to amazing places and do amazing things. Come with me, follow me, let's go to deep water. 
Why? Because there are no fish in the shallow water from Peter's perspective. And Jesus is here. You're not going to catch any fish in the shallow. And that's where many of us live our Christian journey. Our feet are in. We're in the water, in the water of faith, but it's only ankle high or shin high. And for us, Jesus is calling all of us today and every day to come to a deep place, come to deeper waters, because that's where the, the relationship is. That's where the reward is. Again, just like anything difficult that you have fought for in your life that means something to you, it's because you fought for it, you suffered through it, you committed yourself to it, and those are the things that matter. As parents, the same thing, our relationship with our kids. And so Jesus is here telling him, come to deep waters and things are gonna change. When they had done this, they caught so many fish, their nets were beginning to break. And so what did they do? They had to signal their partners to come and help them. The other piece I want you to know is that the Christian journey and life in general should not be a solitary one. We cannot grow in faith. We cannot become who we are being called to be if we keep that just within ourselves, we are called to be in partnership in ministry. In a few weeks, you're gonna see the benefit of our partnerships with several of our mission partners around the world. Because even as we speak, amazing ministry is being done in the name of Jesus Christ with those groups that we have partnered with. We are partnering with them because we cannot bear the load of the miracles of Christ on our own and neither can they. So we do it together. It's the same thing in town. It's the same thing in this room. Who are people of faith that can help you and guide you that you need to partner with? Maybe that's a mentor or mentee relationship. Maybe that's a Tuesday night Bible study group or a Thursday morning Bible study group or a circle Bible study group or a Wednesday night group that holds each other accountable, that walks the journey together. We cannot follow Christ alone. We must do this with partners and as a community. It's just as Peter couldn't handle the result of that miracle by himself, he had to call others to help him. And in that way, they were able to handle the take. And just as Isaiah is being called into the ministry in a setting, in worship, smoke fills, and God says, who will go? Who will go? And Isaiah says, I, it's not that I don't want to go. Last week, Jeremiah said, oh, I'm only a youth. I don't know nothing about no ministry. I don't know nothing about following no God. He says, oh, God says, don't, don't say that. I am with you. I will give you everything you need. I will never leave you. And this week, Isaiah, a little bit more bold, but he's got to get past his own guilt and sin first. He says, Lord, I, I can't do it. I'm a man of unclean lips among a people of unclean lips. And so that seraph, that winged creature brings a lump of coal from the altar 
touches it on his lips and purifies him. We don't do that anymore, although maybe we should. We do this through our time of confession and pardon. It's the same thing. He was forgiven of his sin and given new life to be ready to follow Christ. Today, the same thing has happened here. And this time when God says, who will I send? Jeremiah, uh, Isaiah says those famous words, here I am, send me. And our call process, it isn't just one for one time. We are called every day. And how we respond to that call every day determines if and how we follow Christ. Well, Jesus never came to you fishing. Jesus never came to you in the burning bush. Jesus never came to your house and said, hey, follow me. It doesn't always happen. Moreover, it almost doesn't, always doesn't happen that way. Listen, so Dr. Martin Luther King was asked to give a short account of his call story and asked by Joan Thatcher, who's the publicity director of the American Baptist Convention. Because, Thatcher says, apparently most of our young people still feel that unless they see a burning bush or a blinding light on the road to Damascus, they haven't been called. Dr. King says, my call to the ministry was neither dramatic nor spectacular. It came neither by some miraculous vision or by some blinding light experience on the road of life. Moreover, it did not come as a sudden realization. Rather, it was a response to an inner urge that gradually came upon me. That's Dr. King. An amazing prophet and witness for Christ in our time. But his was an inner urge, an inner call. It's the way my call was. Sometimes it happens in great miraculous fashion, but often it does not. It's more urges. It's more looking back over your life to see where God and the Spirit have been present. So our call is to be called again today. And to have the courage to go to deep water with Christ because standing in the shallows will not get you or us or Christ very far. We've been given everything that we need. The last thing he says to Peter is, don't be afraid. I will make you fish for people. So then let us respond to the call placed on us today and let us have the courage to go deeper with Christ so that we can share the resurrected glory with the world that needs to hear it. Hallelujah. Amen.